again, I kind of don't know why I said yes when you DM me on Twitter, but it was like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm glad I did. And Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to Fifty Shades of Boucher. On this episode, we had Matt Burke. Yes, the Matt Burke. If you ever watched the Vikings from like 98 to like 2009, uh, Matt Burke was the starting center for the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, Minnesota guy went to Creighton Durham Hall, later went to Harvard and then played here, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Um, all I can say is thank you, Matt, for the time that you gave to the show. Uh, you were a great in- interview. Um, you know, again, I, I hope I hope it wasn't a waste of your time. Um, it, you know, as a kid who played Madden, this was one of the cooler uh, interviews I got to do. And, and you know, thank you for the drop that you'll forever be on with saying you, you uh, you're happy you answered the DM. That's that's gonna be uh, forever. So, thank you very much for you guys getting into the episode. Let's just get right into it. Thank you. Please subscribe, share, 50 Shades of Boucher. You can find us on Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. You can just Google it and find the random websites that have added the podcast to it. I, I have no idea what to tell you. Just share with your friend, share with your mom, share to the homeless guy on the side of the road. I don't know why that's always the one I go to, but that's how it is. So thank you. Uh, enjoy the episode. Robert better not get in my face. Because I'll drop that motherfucker. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into a... Our generation and his jokes are terrible. I'm just a man, same as you are. You're not a man, you're a bishop, for God's sakes! There is no God. Wow. You're on the air, sled God! Hope to got everything. I can't hear you. There we go. Here we go. Awesome. What's going on, Matt? Not much. How you doing? <sighs> Dude, let me just say this right off the bat. Uh, as a kid who I'm, I'm only 27, uh, I dude, I started playing Madden. You, were, I was always the Vikings. I just know you as the Viking center. I'm just very nervous. Let me get that off the way, and and hopefully it'll it'll go a little smoother from here. I'm hoping I don't sound like a dumbass through this uh, this podcast. Nothing to be nervous about, man. Thanks. And that's funny. I uh, you know. I, mean, I don't normally answer requests on Twitter, but uh, I don't know when you when you asked, I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then I go to Crispin Green like every day, and Emmy told me that you guys are our friends. Emmy, Crispin Emmy Green from yeah, Crispin Green and uh, on Grand Avenue. Okay, maybe you're friends with her, with her husband. Oh, um, oh, and Patty, I got you right on. Yeah, so awesome. I was like, the, it was, yeah, I was like, all right, well, then I guess I'm I'm definitely supposed to do this then because she's great. So awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Well, let me start off with this. I want to throw a question at you. I I I've thought about since since you said yes and thank you. It's just a random. It's been a random kind of whatever. If I can get a guest on, I kind of shoot my shot, and it's worked quite a bit. So I'm I'm pretty happy for the quarantine. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I gotta ask this. Uh. My my favorite quarterback growing up, and I got a lot of shit for it, was Brad Johnson. He's the first jersey I got. Right to my right here, I got a Brad Johnson jersey. Did were you were you starting in '98 or was that the year you were drafted? No, I was drafted in '98. So I was teammates with Brad '98, and then again in '06 or whenever whenever he came back. Yeah, he came back that Culpepper year. Yeah, I mean Brad's like first of all like not not a nicer guy. I mean just genuinely good guy. But two, you know, he's he's got like kind of this like beautiful football mind. I mean you know, he played forever and he played in all these systems. And mm-hmm. I mean he's got like the guy's probably got more. If he were to put together a playbook, probably be thicker than anybody. It's like he loved he loved you know, strategies and plays and 
formations and the guy's just like he's like he's like the nutty professor of football yeah that's uh, some crazy conversations brad's awesome that's awesome that's good to hear man i've always kind of wondered um now now going back to you so so when you go to harvard right so you're a minnesota guy um you go to harvard do you ever expect to play in the nfl or what was your goal going to harvard out of high school i mean i didn't expect to play in college you know it's just oh, wow. like it just kind of happened i wasn't super heavily recruited uh no no d1 offers and then harvard came and i was like man i was like if i get into school there and keep playing football it's like that'd be that'd be pretty good and it was really perfect balance for me because uh you know i mean i obviously liked football but had other interests as well and so um it was really a great place for me that that balance of academics and athletics it's not to say that, like, you know, we didn't work any less hard than anybody else. Yeah. It's run a Division One scholarship program, but, you know, you, you've got you to gotta bust it in, in class as well. So I do, I do good with, with discipline, and uh, it was a place for me where I was, you know, really able to, um, able to flourish, I think. Yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't done growing when I was 17, 18 years old. So when I got to college, you know, I continued. I loved always loved working out getting mm-hmm. bigger and stronger and had some great guys there that were kind of the same mindset. We just, you know, we just kind of meatheads like, let's just, let's get as big and strong as we can. And yeah, I was just able to continue to mature there physically. And then, you know, all of a sudden I got to 300 pounds my senior year. And you know, when you're 300 pounds in the Ivy league, like you, people are going to take notice. You stand and, out a uh, little bit. Yeah. And you know, nothing Ivy league was kind of the Ivy league. And then my junior year, there was three guys that got drafted from the Ivy league. Uh, Marcellus Wiley was one of them from Columbia. He went in the second round and then two guys from Cornell went in the fourth round. And it was kind of like scouts were kind of starting to take notice. Like maybe there's some players here. So, so I benefited from that and, uh, and got drafted the next year. And of course it couldn't have worked out any better getting drafted by my hometown team. Hell yeah. That's, that's gotta be exciting. I gotta ask. So what's your, what's your meal to gain weight? So is there, was there anything to like, you got to gain weight or you're 300 pounds. So I assume that's a solid weight for the NFL coming in, but, but what was your favorite meal to have to, to keep that weight? Oh man. You know, it's always a, I'm a big pizza guy. Hell yeah. Uh, Also a big burrito guy. I probably owe a lot to Chipotle burritos for, you know, I used to go in there almost every day and get two burritos. And uh, what's your order? uh, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, I'd say go there every day and eat two of them. So it would vary. I mean, you know, you got to change it chicken, up. Chicken's a staple. Barbacoa was, I mean, I'm a big barbacoa guy. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's not a meal. I mean, you're eating five for me, it was five, six times a day and basically eating, you know, until you're really full every single time. That's, that's what it took for me to stay at three, three ten when I was, when I was playing football. Cause even as linemen, you do burn a lot of calories as well every day. I was going to ask, is that a struggle? I mean, do they ask you once you get to the professional level that you have to sit and kind of, you know, there's, you know, you get like Cheeseburger Eddie, the running back who really gained weight a little bit for the Packers. Do you, do they put you on like a meal system right away where it's, hey, you're going to maintain this weight or, or I mean, at that point, are, are, are they feeding you or is it something you got to take a hold of? Oh, you got to, got to take a hold of it. You know, you got to be a pro and it's like, Hey, we, this is your weight. You know, we want you to be around three ten or whatever it is. And you got to do what you got to do to, to figure it out. You right know, they can't, they can't hire a personal chef for every guy in the NFL. Um, and you know, back then, I mean, nowadays it's a little bit more dialed in. I think they are doing some of that stuff for, for players, but back then it was, it was, it was on you, you know, you got to be a pro, you got to figure it out. And if you can't, if you can't keep your weight up or keep your weight down, whatever it was, 
you know, you're just, you're just not going to last in this league. Right. So, so speaking with that being a pro, you know, I, I think you went through, was it three head coaching changes or four with Minnesota? Uh, it was, it was three. It was Denny, Mike and Brad. Okay. So with that, what's it like being the kind of, kind of the, the, not the soul, but your, your lasting out coaches, you know, term after term after term. Is there any, you know, do they ever come to you then and, and try to talk to you to get to know the team or, or, you know, is there anything like that where a new coach comes in, but you're a guy who's been around for as, as long as you can think? No, I mean, from Denny to Mike, you know, is there was obviously familiarity there. And when Brad came in, he was, you know, he was going to change everything. Yeah. Just do it his way. And, and I mean, think if a head coach gets fired and a new coach comes in, obviously it wasn't working before. So a lot of times coaches try to change as much as possible. Um, one, because that's, you got to change the inputs if you want to change the outputs. And then the other thing is that, uh, Hey, this is my, I'm the head coach. This might be my one chance to succeed and coaches don't have forever to win. So they're going to, they're going to do it their way and make sure that if it, uh, if, and when that day comes when they do get fired, at least they can look back and say, Hey, I, I did it my way. Right. Well, and that's, I feel like that's the one way you have to coach because, because you have the dream and the, you know, the idea, and that's the only person who can really put forth the energy for it. Um, so with that, what was it like playing for a Harbaugh towards the end of your career and actually winning a Super Bowl? I mean, Harbaugh's are kind of known for being these, these eccentric guys. And he's even got a weird one because wasn't he a special teams coach and then went right to head coach? Yeah. Yeah. He was special teams coordinator for the Eagles for like nine years. I mean, Harbs is great. You know, that's, 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 he's the main reason why I left Minnesota. Uh, you know, I just kind of felt like wasn't like super excited about just where we were at as a team mm-hmm. uh, in Minnesota. I'm not, not to say I necessarily wanted to leave, but had never been anywhere else and went out to Baltimore and sat with, with John for about a half an hour. And I was just like, man, this guy, I, I'm sure he's trying to sell me, but it, just the, his vision for the team and his approach to how, uh, how he wanted to, how he wanted to run his team, and the identity that he wanted his team to have. You know, yeah. just as a football person and having my own opinions. That's that's what I thought gave gives anybody the best chance to to win. You know, to to win a Super Bowl. And so, you know, I I, I bought in, and John's a he's a great man. He's a great coach. It was interesting playing for a guy whose background was special teams and a little bit of defense. Um, that's not to say he doesn't know anything about offense or anything about defense. Right. You know, he, he was a, he was a head coach, you know, he's not calling any of the plays. So he really is kind of that CEO type leader, if you will. Yeah. Uh, he's involved in some strategies and stuff, but you know, he lets his coordinators go and, and do their thing. And, and he could really, I think, focus on just maintaining the culture that he wanted, uh, making sure that, um, making sure that he was, he was building rapport with each and every player on the team, you know, to get them, make sure that they were, they were all in. And, uh, and he's great. You know, he's, he's obviously John's a fiery guy. He's, you know, I think Jim, you know, on the outside, Jim looks a little nuts, you know, yeah, Harvard, yeah. John, John's not nuts, but, but he's got that in him. You he's know? got an he's, attitude he's got for that, sure. That Harbaugh switch. So it was, I mean, it was great. You know, we won, I mean, we won every year. We went to the playoffs. We did, we did great things. And, and, uh, you know, hey, it worked out. You know, yeah, we won a Super Bowl. And that's not that's not a guarantee. Uh, you For sure, team everything right, and you and you don't win. But it was, uh, you know, grateful that I got a chance to play for him. I think I became a better a better person mm-hmm. playing for John, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was a lot of fun. And it was it was it was a great journey for me and my family. Hell yeah, man! So so speaking of winning a championship, I got to know 
What was it like when the lights go out? What changed at that moment? Because it looked like the 49ers were going to fucking take that game. And then the lights go out, momentum changes. What was said? What was done to, to, to get going? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're so you're so dialed in, you know, you just kind of it's almost like the whole thing is like surreal. I mean, to tell you the truth, just the whole experience of playing in the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. I've never done it before. You just you have no idea. That's that's like the biggest stage in the world. And so there's a certain part of you that, you know, emotionally, I mean, me, I was just really detached emotionally from everything that was going on. I mean, you know, good plays, bad plays, whatever. I was like, just stay stay in this moment don't don't try to think about down the road or anything and so when the lights went out you just like okay well what's the deal oh it's okay it's gonna be 45 minutes all right well let's try to let's just stay loose i guess and we'll be ready in 45 minutes now yeah i mean we were we were up 28 to 6 when the lights went out and then the lights came back on and sam fran mounted this crazy comeback i don't know what was was different i got you no yeah i don't know what was different i don't know why it was like the tale of two of two games, you know, and that's, that's football, that's, that's sports. But thankfully we, we built enough, built a big enough lead that we were able to hang on at the end. I feel like an asshole that I had that backwards. I'm, I apologize. No, no. I, Hey, the Super Bowl is a huge deal. And then it's once it's over, you know, a couple years afterwards, nobody really remembers. And that's, that's kind of what I tell people. It's like, you know, we, we, all of us, we get so worked up for certain events and things in our life. And it's like, it's a big deal now, but five years from now, it's not going to seem like that big of a deal. Right. Right. And I just remember I was I was I was in my freshman year of college. I'm sitting in my dorm room with all the lights off. We had four TVs set up in this room. We ended up clearing out an entire dorm room. We all slept underneath each other. We raised the beds up as high as we could and slid the mattresses under. So we had this really cool hangout dorm. And I remember watching the whole game and, and it was just kinda it was surreal to see that moment and, and to you know, I was a big 49ers fan, no offense. I just was happy to, you know, Alex Smith to get a ring or somebody. Um is the Super Bowl a fun place to play in? Because is it fans that are in the stands, or is it you know people who just want to pay the ticket and be at the Super Bowl? Like, d- does the does the crowd play into just football, or does it have a a, a a side they go? That's a good question. I would say I would say half the crowd is probably you know really is is a fan of, of one of the teams you know yeah. came from that city, and and then I think the other half, yeah, it's just people that just want to be at the game, corporate folks. So it's still, I mean. I don't remember the buzz being yeah. any different. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, normally, right. If you're playing at home, you know, the crowd's on your side. And if you're playing on the road, they're all against you. This is, it was obviously a little bit mixed, but there was, there's still the, the, uh, the electricity's there. And, and maybe that's just part of it. It's, it's the Super Bowl, And you know that it's the, it's the biggest thing in the world. And regardless of what happens in the game, win or lose, your life is probably going to be a little bit different afterwards. Right. So were you so enthralled into the game that you, you, you stayed in the locker room or was there a halftime performance you had to see? Uh, Beyonce was the halftime performance. And uh, I know some of our guys, I think they figured out a way to, to, to watch at least part of it. They were in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I was not, I mean, I would like, like I said, it's just kind of one of those things where, you just you just stay in the moment and don't don't think about really anything. Um, just stay focused and make sure that you know, make sure you're in the right frame of mind to be able to to do your job the best that uh, that you can. But yeah, looking back now, I mean, you know, Beyonce, it's that's a that's a big deal. Um, I don't feel bad that I didn't watch her during halftime, but I guess it's yeah. it's kind of cool that she was that she was the entertainment. Hell yeah, man. So, all right. So transitioning from football, you're a comedian. You, uh, you're on KFAN. 
what else do you do? I know, weren't you, uh, you're ahead of, uh, get me, let me, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you ahead of the Players Association or anything like that? Did, you had something to do with uh, NFL Corporation, correct? Yeah, I went and worked for the NFL League office okay. uh, for two years after I played. Um, and I do a lot of things. You know, I'm involved in a few business things. Uh, I like to stay busy. You know, I do have a lot of interests, but, you know, mostly when you're done playing, you know, football's a great team sport. And I think that's what, that's what we all miss is, is just that team aspect. And yeah. so whether it's family or, or business or whatever, it's just, that's always, I like being around a team and kind of being in that group and trying to accomplish a, a common goal. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I never had like a, I don't really have a distinctive plan or things that I, projects that I undertake. Uh, I started a school in, in Burnsville. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, I think things, opportunities just present themselves and, and I try to figure out, you know, Hey, is this, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, can I, can I help with this? Is this needed? Cause is this something I should lend uh, my time to I'll probably overextend and overcommit to, uh, to a few things. But, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's why we're here, right? Like to, to, to use our talents for, for good. Um, and, uh, you know, try to, try to, try to leave our mark. For sure. Uh, for sure. That's why I leave a podcast. I'm so conceited that I think people will listen after I die or at least people to, want. Yes. This will be archived forever. You know, you will live, you will live forever. I did have that kind of thought. It was a little trippy one night when I had too many white claws where I was like, man, I'll be the first person with the last name Brown in my family that you can go back and listen to if you want to listen to bullshit. But, uh, you know, it, it happens. I mean, that's, that's what the family heard anyways. So, but no, man. So, so even getting to this where, where, you know, I kind of messaged you because I saw you're taking a lot of heat. Um, I just had a guy on last night where we kind of talked about, you know, common sense with everything that's going on in the world today and, and just kind of taking things and not, not, not approaching it with, with fear and, and, you know, uh, reaction, but, but having a thought process going forward. And it seems like you do that on Twitter, but you get a lot of shit for it. I mean, do you ever just want to turn off Twitter one day and just go, fuck it, it's not worth it? Or, or is it fun fighting with people that just are, are overreacting? Not overreacting because they're afraid, but just overreacting because it's on Twitter. I mean, we all just got to remember, right? Twitter's supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know, and I understand yeah, everybody's a little fired up these days, whether it was because of the election or because of COVID, you know, and stress that it's causing. Like, you know, you, you always got to try to, again, sort of detach from it and kind of try to look at the whole the whole situation, but I do think it's important, you know, um, I guess I do. I, I mean, I kind of consider myself a common sense person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a football player, right? It's like, let's just, let's simplify everything as much as we can. Uh, doesn't mean that things are easy, but like, let's like, let's simplify or let's always just remember the goal here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on out there. Um, whether it's, you know, politics or this, this virus or, or whatever. And, um, people are on edge. You know, yeah, people are on edge, and I think, you know, whether it's uh, social media platforms or mainstream media or whatever it is, right, there's one side probably gets heard more than others. Um, and so uh, wh why do I tweet? Um, I tweet because I want to make sure that people who align with, with, with my values who are on those platforms know that, you know, there's other people out there that think like they do. And, and, and I do. I love, I really love, um, you know, constructive dialogue with people that have different points of view. Now, Twitter's not exactly the place to exactly, have that kind, yeah. of, that kind of dialogue. And, you know, there's a lot of people I think are on Twitter for, I mean, you know, I'll just say the wrong reasons, right? They, they whatever, they just yeah, lack. They're you know, assholes sometimes. Yeah, lack deep common human decency when 
when tweeting, uh, which is fine. You know, that's, that's okay. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertainment and it's not, it's not real life. And I mean, honestly, when people say stuff about me on Twitter, you know, I guess I'm probably used to it. Cause when you play, like I remember driving in my truck after a game and we would lose and people would be on the radio calling in saying, you know, Vikings, they suck and Burke's terrible and blah, yeah. blah, blah. So, so that's a great, I've kind of built that skill up over time. And, uh, and that's, and that's, it adds to, helps you with resiliency in life. And that's, that's a good trait to have. Right. Well, especially with people on Twitter, how many people come up to you or approach you as Matt Burke, the football player where, Sure, that's what you did, but you're, you know, right now you're no longer a football player. You're Matt Burke. You're just doing your own thing. How many people expect you to just take an athlete kind of perspective on things where you aren't going to do it anymore? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, right? And that's and those are people that. Uh, well, I says Mike Tice had a great line. You know, Mike when he was the coach, Mike he could be a hard guy to play for. You had to have thick skin to play for Mike. Yeah. He was four years, he was my offensive line coach, and then four years he was the head coach. And he was still pretty involved in the O-line too. And uh, I used to, when, once I got to a certain level, you know, with Mike, I would always joke around and I'd say, you know what? I'd say, you can be a real asshole sometimes, but it, it just comes so naturally to you. And, and he would laugh, right? Like that's the New Yorker in him. And, and he knew that he was hard on people. And he'd say, you know what? He goes, if you're mad at me, uh, if, unless, unless I'm sleeping with you at night, I don't really care. And that might be an extreme point of view, but, uh, it's an honest right one. Now, I mean, it's an honest, you know, I mean, I'm here, like I need to, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, my, my family and, and my, my close friends. And, and if I'm doing something wrong, they'll tell me if I, if I'm out of line, if I, if I make somebody that I don't know upset because I tweet about, uh, politics or some sort of current event, you know, um, you know, it's, it's my Twitter feed. I'm putting on what I want it. What Hell do you yeah. think about it? Hey, I'm I, yeah. I understand it's a, there's a two way channel there, but at the end of the day, I guess if I don't know you, I don't really care. Right, exactly. You're exactly right, and that that's a good place to take it. I got I got to ask this. So no one listens. Let's just be honest. No one listens really to this. So after after they will now. They're gonna listen now. Thank you, sir. After oh, there was a lot of excitement, man. A lot of people, especially my friends. Again, you, you know, I'm 27. So you, you were the you were the Viking when all of us were coming up through middle school and and even into high school into 2010, man. I mean, you pretty much the duration that I can remember Vikings football. You were the center, but uh, uh, I'm the OG. Yeah, for for real. So with that. When this when the boat scandal went down, what was the funniest thing that came to practice? Was it Steve Smith doing the boat in the end zone? What was something that you can give away that you just had to laugh about with the scenario? I mean, I know the scenario is what it is, but it was guys trying to have some fun and do whatever. What was something that came about where you couldn't even help it, but even if Tice brought it up, you had to smirk a little bit? Well, I mean, at first it was like, you know, first, like our focus, you, you go to work, you're trying to win games. Yeah. And I remember I come to work and there's this rumblings of this thing that happened. And it's like, it's like, what? And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, a, I'm always been a choir boy and this and that. Right. I'm also not going to say that like I excuse all behavior, mm-hmm. but it was like, so it's like, you, you guys did what? Yeah. It's pretty, it's just a crazy fucking story. Yeah. And I'm not, and not to come to a point of like, it wasn't like, I'm not looking at it as like, I'm going to judge any of these guys, but it's like, how is this going to affect us as a team? Like, is this yeah. is, this is pre, you know, this is pre social media and pre internet. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was all like the world was a lot different back then. Yeah. And it was like the press got a hold of this and it was like, holy smokes. 
And I remember that day, it used to be Wednesdays after lunch, there's an hour where the media could be in the locker room. And yeah, there'd normally be, I don't know, 10 or 12 media people, a couple, you know, channel four, channel five, channel nine, channel 11, some newspaper people. Well, this Wednesday, like you can't move in the <laughs> locker room. It's packed. So everybody's, and everybody's hiding out. They can't go in the players' lounge. The old line, we used to hang back in the equipment room by the washers and dryers and play cards. It was like, it was, there was a hundred media in there. You couldn't wow. move. And of course, if anybody went out there, you were just going to be under siege because the media, they need, they need sound bites. They need quotes. They got to write a story. And I remember like, this is stupid. Like, I can't even like go to my locker because a bunch of guys, because a bunch of guys did this. And yeah. So I was like, screw it. So I told, I remember I told them, uh, it be like me and Lewinsky and Rosenthal. I was like, I'm going to my locker. They're like, dude, no way. I'm like, I'm going to go. I want to get something out of my locker. And I went out there and all the media comes up to me. And, you know, obviously there's a serious side to this, but I was like, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't. So they asked me, I said, well, what do you think about what happened? And part of us trying to diffuse the situation is, you know, Bobby, you follow me on Twitter. I like to be a smart aleck. Oh, yeah. So I said, uh, you know, I said, these reports of like, you know, this, what happened on the boat and, these guys flew, uh, they flew strippers in from, from out of town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I said, I'm a little upset. I said, I think it's a slap in the face to all the strippers from Minneapolis and St. <laughs> Paul that they, and, um, of course that didn't necessarily go over well with some people, but, um, I'm sure the strippers appreciated it. Well, yeah, but it wasn't really like my place to speak for guys yeah. who, who did, I mean, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm a football player. I'm going to go home to my wife. I'm just trying to like, Get do my your locker job room. and go home, right? Oh, yeah. So, but I, 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 I always, yeah, I understand what the what the story was, and um, it did, it did cause a, it did cause a, a bit of a riff on the team, and it was certainly a huge distraction that we didn't need, and mm -hmm. we didn't win part of it because of that. Um, but you know, it, the the divide was was created because you know those guys that were that did take part in that that there was there was consequences, there was consequences at home. And there were consequences at work too, and yeah. I think that you know they were just trying to kind of uh, trying to to minimize the damage that, that, that they had, had done to themselves. But it was it was an interesting time in the locker room. There were a few heated conversations about uh, between kind of the two sides, if you will, and um, and and what guys should or should not be be saying publicly. So I, I have a question about this. So does does it change when you get paid? And the coach yells at you. Like I, I played high school football. I played a year of college football. Does, does it? You know, can he make the players run laps? Like, do you guys got to do the? You know, you know, you do conditioning, but there's conditioning where they're they're punishing you. Does that happen in the NFL, or do grown men not take that? I've always wondered that. You no, in the NFL you do. You okay, know, you do. Yeah, and I think that's just part of the code and the culture of football. In, okay, you know, you don't. Yeah, you would never talk back to a coach or not run laps or do do whatever right so um, they still expect that of you in the nfl yeah it seems like um it seems like from what i you know like in other sports like like uh basketball uh, per se yeah it seems, seems like the players kind of run the show but yeah no i would say uh i would say coaches still command the respect and then and, and let's say sometimes if a coach does lose the respect of his players then you know everybody knows the team won't win and but it, but it, it, there's never like just blatant insubordination in the NFL. It's still whether you're a rookie free agent, of course you're going to do everything that the coach says. Or even if you're a, if you're a superstar, I mean, most of the times 
I mean, I look like Tom Brady, you know, the reason why it worked in New England so well is Belichick publicly never called anybody out, but privately he'd get after people and he would get after Tom in meetings and, and Tom took it, you know, he never big timed it. And I think that's why it worked so well in New England for so long is that, you know, your superstar quarterback is on board. So everybody else better, better be on board as, as well. And you know, I'm, I mean, just to offer one more thing, you look at like Terrell Owens or Antonio Brown or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. When guys get too, too big for their britches and they, they, they stop listening. Um, those guys, those guys get sent, sent home or sent away because you really can't win in football unless everybody's kind of bought into the, to the bigger goal. I got you. Um, I want to, I'm not sure how much time you have. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I can keep asking football questions for, for days, man. Uh, what's yeah, it? What's it like to come in, come into the NFL and go all the way to the AFC Championship? And then, you know, you, I make the joke that you can be a Vikings fan for life if you had the discussion, Gus Farratt, Kelly Holcomb, or Brooks Bollinger, because that was some weird Vikings football for a while. You know, you can, you can come back to the team whenever the fuck you want. But what was it like to kind of see a, a, not a decrease, but you definitely went from a high high-rated team, one of the best offenses of all time, to... By the time you were getting done with the Vikings, I mean, you you had a rebirth with with Brett Favre, but you went through a real lull in that in that later part. What, what's that like coming out? You know, starting your career like that. I mean, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, early on in my career, like it was just sort of like fantasy land. You know, I mean, here's yeah. the team I love, and we're just like we're like the hottest team in the NFL. Like we're the we're the sh- we're the greatest show there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, when, when you're in the middle of it, kind of, you don't know that you're, um, you, know, you don't really know that you're not good or that you're not going to be good. Uh, yeah, I mean, Culpepper was, we went from that 98, 99, and then 2000 when Culpepper took over, you know, there was no drop off, right? I mean, yeah. he was, he was an NFL, he was running for the NFL MVP. Yeah. You know, and he'd have won it if Peyton Manning would have thrown a hundred touchdown passes. Um, <laughs> So it's like, hey, we've got we got Culpepper, we got Moss, we got a chance. Yeah, you know, we can we can put enough together around it. And then when he got hurt, it was like, okay, well, what's what's the deal here? I don't want to say rebuild, but you're like, okay, we maybe we don't have. You have an old Brad guy. Johnson playing QB. Yeah, but when you're a player, you know, you're seeing how hard guys are working, and you're seeing, hey, we we've got talent here, we got talent here. Maybe we don't have that elite quarterback, but yeah, we can try to win other ways. And I mean, looking back, you can say, well, yeah, obviously you're not going to win with with uh, without a you know, stable st- stability at the quarterback position. But I don't know when you're in the thick of it, you're like, you're not thinking like three years or five years. You're like, you know, right today, like, yeah. can we, can we win this game today? I think we can win. And, um, you know, I'm sure I wish we'd have won a little bit more, but I, I also think too, my tenure with the Vikings, one of our biggest problems was ownership. I don't think red McCombs was necessarily concerned with winning a world championship i think it was there was there was always a a profitability element to the equation you know we never go out and sign huge free agents um but you know that said i mean i look at i started with john randall randall mcdaniel chris carter randy moss culpepper robert smith uh and then we go we draft an adrian peterson Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and and so i mean it's i got to play a lot of stars and at least we uh you know, we, we never had that team. Like we weren't like the Detroit Lions, where it was always going to be like, well, I don't know, we'll probably go four and twelve this yeah, year. Yeah, you just feel there dismal. Was that. Yeah, there was always at least enough there to say, like, hey, we got, we've got a chance. Yeah. Um, and so, at, at the end of the day, 
there's all these things you can't control as a player. I just feel like I was really fortunate to be able to last and play 11 years with my hometown team and a lot of great players. And we did, we did win some games. We did make the playoffs, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we were, what we were able to do with what we had. Who was your favorite player you played with? Uh, you know, just even let's let's just limit it to that because even even the teams you played on, you had Hall of Famers between Moss, Culpepper was an MVP running, uh, Adrian Peterson, Steve Hutchinson, Pat Williams. I know he might not be a Hall of Famer, but man, he's iconic in Minnesota. Kevin Williams, you know who? And then even getting to the you know uh, with the Ravens, I think uh, Joe Flacco was elite quarterback that year. Who was your favorite? Who is your favorite uh, player you got to, to see either practice or just be like astounded by who, 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 you know? Well, I mean, from just like a wow standpoint, you know, uh, it'd probably be, I mean, that's tough to say, you know, Randy was unbelievable. Obviously Adrian with a young Adrian, mm-hmm. the way that he worked, it was just like, is this guy even a human being? And then uh, John Randall always impressed me. He, John Randall was like the guy when I got there. I mean, the guy in the NFL. Yeah. Premier free technique and just incredible how hard he worked every single rep. Never saw him take a rep off. And that was part of why he was so good. But, you know, my experience with those guys, I, I always enjoyed most of my teammates. Locker room is a fun place. You got a lot of big personalities. But, uh, you know, the O-line core when I was with the Vikes, Chris Lewinsky, Mike Rosenthal, Corey Withrow, I mean, we were together for for a while, and man, we just you know we were we were all about the same age, same point in life, starting to have kids, and we 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 knew how to laugh uh, in the locker room. Hell yeah! Cards or dominoes or on road trips, and you know none of us were like these super talented, uh, highly touted guys. We just we had to bring our lunch pail to work every day and just grind. And uh, I'm glad I got to do it with them, and you know. That was a that was a special bond. Hell yeah, man! Were you bummed you didn't get to play in the new stadium once you saw it? I mean, how, what was it like playing in the Metrodome? And, and did you end up playing uh, at TCF at all, or was that past your time? That was past. I don't. I mean, I grew up with the Metrodome. That was like the place. So yeah. To be able to play in there, I mean, it was like the Taj Mahal to me. And I'm kind of glad, you know, even our old facility at Winter Park, you know, not nice Metrodome, not nice, but. That was good. It was simple. That's, that kind of fits me, my personality. I'm not super flashy. I like to just come to work and, and don't – I mean, I walk around the TCO facility now. It's like I mean, it's like a luxury spa. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't, just doesn't feel right to me. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that my, my memories are my, – that my experiences with Winter Park and the Metrodome, uh, that, that suited me just fine. Did you ever pull Mark Sanchez and get a dome dog while you were playing? Never got a dome dog because I was normally too busy playing. Um, but uh, never snuck one on the sidelines when you're just nah, nah. It was, it was, man, I was when I when I played, my my stomach needed to be it needed to be empty. Now after the game, you know they would they put some food out in the locker room. Oh and yeah, we would, we would we would get after it. But uh, I remember uh, Mitch Berger when I played with him. His he claimed that he you know kept a Snickers bar on the sidelines or in his sock and. That kind of became a thing. I think Mitch was pretty savvy. I think he did that so he could get a bunch of free Snickers bars, which he did. Right. Well, it's it's good publicity. And back then, you know, we weren't getting you know, hundred thousand dollar endorsement contracts. So if you got a free box of Snickers, like that was that was a win. Hell yeah, man. Uh, let me ask you this: and uh, when you 
started to be a comedian? Were you scared? Were you nervous? You played in front of a bunch of people, but this is a completely different game. What do you, uh, what, what did you think the first time you started? Uh, yeah, no, I was scared. I mean, that's kind of me. Like I'm, I'm willing to try new things and kind of be, be scared and, uh, kind of did it on a dare. So I was like, yeah, I can try this. And, uh, had no idea how it was going to go. I think it went pretty well. I think I'm retired from comedy now. I mean, I did it for a while and haven't done it in a while because of COVID. But, um, when I did it, I was like, well, that was kind of fun and it, it sort of worked. I think I get the it's easier for me to be a comedian than probably the average person because people know me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so I think they, you know, I've got that rapport built in. Some of them like me already before right. I start with the comedy. Right, right. But, I gotcha. Uh, They're nostalgic. I, kinda, I thought I was just going to do it once and then whatever, but I saw that like, Hey, this would be a pretty good fundraising model. Like to do a lot of work with charities. And I was like, this is a fun event, right? It's yeah. super inexpensive to pull off. That's a different way in different way in comedians don't make anything but i think everybody likes good comedy you know if you can laugh it's good and so that's i did it for about a year and a half and i probably did like 10 11 times i did do one big show in chicago with like a thousand people and it's uh you can you can see it on uh i think it's amazon prime now it was recorded like a you know like a special okay um, and i was like you know that's probably that's probably as high it's probably as far as i'm gonna go with this thing and hell yeah most comedians sooner or later end up you know it doesn't end well like they're tortured souls so i was like that's that's good so i think i i think i'm done being a comic i got you is there any point in your life uh, i i guess i should have looked this up before i had an interview with you are you ever gonna go to podcaster is that ever gonna be a thing that you fall into i don't think so right on. um I should say, yeah, just just not not right now. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Okay. Um, I think, you know, with eight kids at home, I just don't have a lot of time. Yeah, you're a busy guy for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I stick to the Twitter, right, like the five-second bits, and um, I guess that's kind of my, my, my entertainment. I gotcha. What do you listen to for music? <sighs> I don't listen to a ton of music, but I was always uh, – I mean, when I played, I was a big classic rock guy. I used to drive the guys nuts. Because kind of the universal rule in the NFL is who's ever in the the oldest guy in the weight room gets to control the radio. Okay. And, uh, I mean, nowadays, I think everybody wears headphones or earlet. Yeah. Yeah. Back then. And so when I got to some seniority, uh, I would have the, I would have control of the radio. And, you know, most guys, they were into the hip hop and whatever, but I was always classic rock. So guys would come in and be, and music's not that important to me, but it was like really important to some guys. They'd be like, can we please turn the channel? And I would always say, uh, if you can tell me who's singing this song right now, I'll let you change the channel. And it was funny because, you know, they're talking about like to some 22 year old kid, he'd be like, uh, uh, the Beatles, you know, I'd be like, no man, this is, this is the who, you know, or this yeah. is, uh, this is, uh, Eric Clapton or what they, James they Taylor. Nah, it may be a little harder than that, but all right. Uh, all right. They were, uh, it was fine. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean, again, still don't listen to a ton of music. With all these kids now, they play stuff in my car. I try to pay attention to what they're listening to to make sure it's it's uh, it's appropriate. But it's uh, it's nuts, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm old, man. I'm 44, uh, lots of kids, two dogs. You know, I'm kind of in that part of the middle of my life where they don't golf anymore, don't yeah. really listen to music. Like, I'm just I'm just trying to survive. I get you. I, I get you. I'm a dad of two, so I have an eight-year-old and I have yeah. a, a five-month-old. Um, what do you exactly. got for advice? I mean, what's the biggest gap you got between kids? Well, my uh, my oldest is 18 and my youngest is four, so oh. I'm kind of in every stage of 
of life right now. Hell yeah. Uh, so what yeah. what's your advice on 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 a gap like that? So my my youngest da- or my oldest daughter is uh is kind of like what's this baby going to do and and I'm trying to get it, you know, she smiles right now and and she's starting to get a little, you know, she's eating foods and we just tried that, but I just kind of want to know. I, I I I like asking other dads uh you know, well, you know, what was your uh, what was your thing to get your kids all together? Was it watching movies or was it, you know, I mean, obviously the little one's too little to really get to it. But as we, as we get older here, I know there's going to be a split. One's going to want to watch Nickelodeon as MTV starts popping up on the other one. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard right now. I mean, your kids get to a point where they kind of start to push away from you. You know, yeah. three teenage I can, I can see it already. Right yeah. So I think. Um, yeah, we always did uh, movies or trips to the park, you know, things like that. But they, sure. they outgrow it. You, you kind of got to let them. You kind of got to let them do that. You know, that's part of the process. Uh, I think uh, the one thing I really just try to focus on now is, is: can we just can we eat dinner together? You know, like just fifteen minutes. Can we sit down at the table and try not to fight and just just have you know that that thing kind of that that anchor, um, and then everybody can go uh, do their things, but. Yeah, I, I'm constantly pestering my kids, whether the girls, you know, in their rooms by themselves or the boys and just want to be, uh, yeah, just want to hang with them as much as I can because I've seen it. You know, I have an 18 year old now and she's pretty, pretty independent. You know, she's away at college and she's doing her thing. And, you know, as a parent, that's uh, where, where you're kind of the, 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 the center of their universe that that day, those days end. And so kind of try to soak it up as much as you can while it's here and be uh be that be that rock form and and hopefully you know give uh influence them enough where you kind of give them the tools to go out and and and, and find their own path hell yeah man that, that's that's uh that's 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 noble as shit i appreciate that um thank you very much you know i don't again i i, I hate you know i i feel so bad because i never know what you got what people's schedules are and i i could talk for hours so i, I never know when to cut it um you know, I appreciate your time. Yeah, Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you got going? Anything you want to share? No, man. I just, uh, I mean, I, hey, I think it's great. Again, I kind of don't know why I said yes when you DM me on Twitter, but it was like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm glad I did. And I always think it's good to, uh, I mean, give you a lot of credit for putting time into something that you're obviously passionate about. And I think that's the biggest thing for all of us is professionally find things that you're passionate about. But remember that, you know, our jobs don't define us and don't, don't become a uh, don't become a workaholic. Don't become so consumed with uh, with success that you miss all the good stuff in life. You know, you've got you've got two kids, and we're not. Uh, I don't think we're put on this earth to to work. You know, we're put on this work to put on this earth to live, and that's and that's what we always have to uh, have to remember. So it's a yeah, it's a pleasure being on, man, and uh, I wish you luck. And I don't know if I ever do anything newsworthy. Maybe uh, maybe I come back on and talk. Dude, you even saying that right there, uh, my old man would have been fucking proud of just that moment. I'm going to use that drop, by the way, of saying you're glad to come on. That's going to be the intro to the podcast. So thanks right again, on. man. I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me you know, time on Madden back in 05. I hope you got your money's worth. Um, I bought every, I bought every, you know, every year just for the roster change. So I, I hope you, I hope it at least got you like a pack of gum or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was one, one stick. Right on. Cool, man. Well, enjoy your day. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Bobby. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.